Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. It feels so good to be an essential, you know? An elite. Does it, though? The top tier of society. We have risen. I just feel, like, more tired. Like, I didn't think, I could, I didn't, I didn't think I could be more worn out from work. You know, like, if you asked me, like, two weeks ago, like, hey, Spencer, do you think you could feel, like, any more, like, shit after work? I'd be like, no, probably not. <laughs> well. Well, sir, I will say this. I kind of feel like being an essential. The ones keeping the country alive and holding it together. We're the glue guys. But I also kind of feel like that just makes us, like, the expendables. Like, hey, you guys go ahead and die. Like, yeah. I feel like they don't really care if we get sick too much. No, like, uh, like because I know that being a, the whole being a central thing, I know it hasn't got me any better treatment. From, <laughs> no, it has not. But I will hold the illusion, as long as I can, that we're better than everybody that's not <laughs> essential. I saw a lawyer guy I know the other day. He was just walking around town because I guess he's lost without just so having confused. a job. And I just walked up to him and said, Psh, Aside, peasant, you cannot be Should around the essentials. Shouldn't you be at home? You give the sidewalk to the essentials. You, you be gone, vile man. Be gone with you. That's what I think of you, Mr. Lawyer. You low-level nobody. You Jezebel. You harlot. Why do you call me these names? You should do the world a favor and just go back inside where you belong in your nice, warm house. Us essentials rule the world yeah. now. It doesn't really feel like that, though. Mm. As much as I want to be braggadocious and tell these people off, I still feel like they get to be home just fucking off and I have to work. Yeah. Especially the ones that get paid to fuck off. My sister's uh, fiance, he is a banker, but they have him down to like three days a week, mm. half days, and yeah. he still gets paid 40 for 40 hours. And he makes a lot more money than I do, probably. That's a little. At least I would have to hope so. I would have. To, I would hope bankers are making more. Uh, well, he says there's like they're really worried about getting robbed now because apparently that like everybody's out of work. So I guess that's when robberies for banks, bank robberies go up. Yeah. Though, like, I'd have to think like even in like a you know like in PNC or whatever, like how much actual money do you think is in in a bank? in the actual? Especially nowadays, I like, feel like it can't be more than a like ten to twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. Like, not, like, I don't think enough to rob. Uh, yeah, how much are you really getting away with? But, I don't know. And there's not, like, I wouldn't think there would be jewels or any, like, valuables or anything, you know? Yeah. I don't even know if, like, what banks around here have, like, safety deposit boxes. I don't know. I don't go into bank. I haven't been in a bank in fucking forever. I don't have any business in a bank. No. It's all online, son. It's all online. The only, the only time that I ever is whenever, like, you know, during the holidays and my birthdays, you get the, the birthday checks from... Yeah, but don't you just put those in the ATM? That's what I do. No, I, I actually go in because I just want to see if every once in a while if there's ever, like, an attractive uh, teller, and that is normally not. But, you know, <laughs> I'm like, maybe this time! Is that your move? Yeah. <laughs> like me, big balling, $25. <laughs> well, now that you're an essential... An essential American. I feel like your status has just gone up in the world. It should. So whenever you see a lady about to town, you can go, I am an essential. You just be like, hey, I have a job. Oh. Really? <laughs> <laughs> For you folks don't know what that noise is, she's playing with ducks. <laughs> yeah. Hello, fellow essentials, and everybody else. <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't be smirch the other listeners who are non-essentials, yeah. because they're probably the ones listening since yeah. they're at home. They got nothing else to do. Everyone else is working. Hello, everybody. I mean, that's the only reason I would listen to us, is because if I had nothing else to do. Fair enough. Anyway, if you're here, listening on your old-timey radio, I'd imagine, you are listening to the Drunk Ben Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, dude, is this really the name you want to go with? I, I don't know. I don't know it until you say it. Spencer, the Wisconsin Willie Wrencher Church. <laughs> is it Ouch. My, my Willies or other Willies? That I don't know. That's up to you, I guess. I feel like you're just running. I mean, 
Everyone should be indoors, not for coronavirus, for Spencer running around wrenching your willy. Yeah. Not wanking, wrenching. Yeah, that, that, uh, a little extra toughness to that. Ooh, baby, that's rough. All right, well, today we have an interesting episode. I'm off air, me and Spencer, Spencer and I, us two, we were discussing powerful first sentences in fiction, mainly the importance of having a powerful first sentence to hook the reader immediately. Because you always get the advice your first couple paragraphs should be, you know, hook you. Well, I feel like the first sentence, you can't go wrong. Especially if it's a, like a, a flash fiction, short story, that kind of thing. You really want to get them or quick. Or if, um, if you're submitting to something. Yeah. That, you know. It's a good way to get out of the slush pile is yeah. if you get that first sentence and first paragraph, like, perfect. So, what we decided to do is not just talk about our first sentences, but talk about some of the most famous sentences in uh, fiction. I mean, just off the top of the head, I think of uh, uh, A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens. No. You know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Now, I didn't, we didn't go through this article that we found at all. It was just a random BuzzFeed article of first sentences. But the, that one is perfect, in my opinion, because from what I haven't read that book before, no. I believe it's a tale of like I don't know industrial revolution or some shit. But it's it's like a class thing, yeah. isn't it? Like poor people, rich people, kind of. So yeah. So the, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, in my opinion. Is perfect, tr- like a perfect translation of for some people it's the best of times, and for some people it's, it's the, the worst, worst of times. times. Yeah. Kind of like now, if you're rich, you're probably having a great time. You're in home. You're enjoying yourself. If you're like us and you're on the lower end, yeah. you're working class. Not so much. I would say worst of times. Yeah. Um, and it'll probably be on the list, but obviously, like the Stephen King, the, was it the uh, Dark Tower opening, super famous. The yeah. uh, I'm not going to fucking spill out some of these because I don't want to interrupt our flow of the yeah. thing if we get to it. But you can really, really set the tone right. And you can, again, using great expectations, that almost tells you the whole novel right there yeah. of what it's going to be about. And it's, that's hard to do. It's basically kind of like, you know, whenever you're watching like a movie or a TV show or something, like those first couple minutes. Really important. Need, need, to, need to, you know, um, catch your attention and make you want to, you know, spend the, the time it's going to take to ingest whatever form of, you know, media that it is. But. Right, right, right. Oh, anyway, this, art, this is just a BuzzFeed article. It's 53 of the best opening sentences in literature. And this was uh, written in 2015, so obviously anything after that won't be on this list. And now, seeing as this is just random sentences at 53, we're just going to stop this episode around the 45-minute mark. Sound good, Spencer? Yeah. So if we don't cover them all, we don't. If we cover them all too soon, we'll just say, fuck you, and go into some James Joyce fart fiction. She was arousing me with her merry little cracks. I love that so much. <laughs> you farts? Like, who has the command for that? <laughs> Especially during sex. <laughs> like, you could, like, you, she might have been a fucking, uh, I don't, a magician, I would imagine, of the butt. <laughs> imagine what he was pulling out of there. A butt magician? <laughs> you pulling out her endless rope, like the endless scarves. <laughs> but they slowly get more brown as they get longer. Okay, that's gross. Sorry, folks. Um, the smell. <laughs> starting off this list. Miss Sylvia Plath with the bell jar. It was a queer, sultry summer. The summer they electrocuted the Rosenbergs, and I didn't know what I was doing in New York. Well, damn, that is, uh, you're you're killing somebody, and you're just fucking lost in New York, perhaps? That, that'll get you interested. Also, folks, because we're just such un- uneducated, uh, sloths. Buffoons. Buffoons. We, uh, probably haven't read a lot of these no, that are in here. No. I would imagine. Definitely not me. But if I have read one of these, I'll let you know loud and clear because I want to be a pompous douchebag sometimes. Because now I'm an elite, so I have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My have, nose is in the air. You know what I'm going to start wearing to, to work is like those, um, not scarves, but like, what are they called? Like coifs or what? Mm. Like, they're like those big poofy things like you, the, yeah. you wear in your, you know, your fancy suit or your... I'm going to start dressing like Triple H when he oh, was Hunter Hearst Helmsley yes. in the 90s, the Connecticut Blue Blood. He was super douchebag, uh, you know, fuckface. Yes. And he had that music and everything. And he was also, I'm going to dress like that. He had like the, the horse riding yeah. coat. I liked it. Number two, the war. Wait a minute. I guess I'll, I'll read the author in the uh, book at hand. 
before. So number two is Girl at War by Sarah Novick. I have never heard of this one. The war in Zagrebeb began over a pack of cigarettes. Interesting. Number three, Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Arliano Bodina was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to, to fuck. When his father took him to discover ice. The firing squad. That's a good way to start. Yeah, because. Because I imagine at that point, then it jumps back. Anytime you start with like a death or somebody dying and you only give vague information, that gets the reader hooked. You're like, well, shit, I guess I should care because. Well, I mean, that's kind of like a. Um, well, we talked about a few episodes ago with Quentin Carantino. Yeah. Like that's one of his moves is like, we show you the end or some big thing that happens later, then jump back to the beginning. Yeah. And- you can start with a death, a divorce, a marriage. Um. Uh, crazy house getting locked up. Like, there's a lot of ways you can go. You got to hit those notes. Number four, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Ashley said he's starting to read this, I believe. Oh, yeah? Or either that or Sense and Sensibility. I don't One of them fucking lady books. And uh, I told him it's been on my list to read for a long time. I can't get myself to... Just dive in? I just don't care. <laughs> it doesn't. None of it sounds appealing to me. But uh, that poor fella, he's going through the Barnes and Noble classic editions, and he seems like though he seems he's quite, he's able to uh, handle that those big like. Well, I could read necessary. the big tomes too. It's just but, that he seems to be uh, I don't know, more of an intellectual than us, perhaps. Oh, and he, like it seems like he he's a pretty uh, fast reader too. Yeah, I can read fast, but I like especially with the classics. I like to really kind of slow down and absorb the material. Like yeah. I'm reading Moby Dick now. If you just read it fast, you're going to miss a lot. Like, that's one of those things you kind of reread passages. And you're like, ooh, okay. Anyway, uh, Pride and Prejudice, the opening line is, It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. See, that's why I don't like Pride and Prejudice without reading it. Because it just starts off about fucking marriage. <laughs> I don't care about marriage. I'm just not. Isn't that what, like anything Jane Austen or the Bronte sisters is about is just old, you know, some, some, uh, flighty broads trying to get married or not get married. Uh, yeah. Some guy wants your hand in marriage. You're like, oh, I don't like you, but maybe I do. Well, you figure you write what you know, and that's probably all that they had back then. There wasn't much for ladies back then. It was a shitty time. Ladies now definitely have it, uh, a lot better in regards to, uh, what they could write about, I feel. Yeah. Like, that would get published. Mm. Because that's the thing. Ladies back then couldn't wrote about anything they wanted, probably. But, like, you know, Frankenstein. But getting it published, that's another story. Number five, Play It As It Lays by Joan Didion. What makes Lago evil? Some people ask. I never ask. So we know Lago is evil. Well, who's Lago? Is Lago a person or a place or a thing? I guess you have to read on to find out. Number six, On the Road by Jack Kerouac. I first met Dean not long after my wife and I split up. I had just gotten over a serious illness that I won't bother to talk about, except it had something to do with the miserably weary split up in my feeling that everything was dead. So that that starts with a divorce or a breakup. But technically that's two sentences. That's a paragraph, sir. Keep breathing into the mic. This fucking wine sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Drinking terrible wine, folks, that somebody gave me. It was a random bottle they fished out of the trash. <laughs> Just trash wine. They got it out of cat, Catfish Creek. <laughs> For you folks not familiar with the area, Catfish Catfish Creek has no has little catfish. I'd imagine none. Yeah. Even less creek, probably. Less creek, but lots of brown things floating down it, if whatever water's left, and oil. All right. The Stranger by Albert Camus. Mother died today, or maybe yesterday. I can't be sure. Now that's kind of fucked up yeah. because that can uh, that can go any kind of yeah. which way without knowing anything about that story. That can go. He killed his mom. He uh, his mom died, and he just didn't want to acknowledge yeah. it. Uh, he wasn't around when she died. Yeah. There's so many. It, it things. could be something as simple as like you know he came home to visit her. She was dead. Mm. It could have been you know he how, wasn't sure she how yeah, she died. Or, or it could be something as you alluded to more sinister in nature. Yeah. Or he just forgot because he's crazy. Or uh, he just grief stricken and it, that yeah. wasn't something he cared to remember. Number eight, an untamed state by Roxanne Gay. 
Once upon a time in a far-off land, I was kidnapped by a gang of fearless yet terrified young men with so much impossible hope beating inside their bodies it burned their very skin and strengthened their will right through their bones. That's a... That, that gives y'all kinds of weird things to think about. Yeah. Like, the way she described them as fearless and terrified, it almost makes it sound like they're good guys. Maybe. Even though they kidnapped her. Like, they're full of hope. I mean, what's going on that you get kidnapped by some people that are full of hope? What are they hoping? Interesting. Maybe it's like a revolution story. Now, this is your favorite one. Atonement by Ian McEwen. McEwen. How do you say that? Ewan. It's got to be Ewan, right? You skipped one. Oh, the picture? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go back to that. Anyway, Atonement by Ian McEwen. You know what? By Ian. (laughs) The play for which Brian Nee had designed the posters, programs, and tickets, constructed the sales booth out of a folding screen, tipped... Oh, for fuck's sake, you suck. Ewan, we're not reading your fucking garbage. Nobody read Atonement. That's, like, famous, though, isn't it? This is a movie. Or is that... I'm not thinking of something else. I mean, I'm I'm thinking thinking of uh, Terms of Endearment. Maybe. Which is another thing I don't know about. (laughs) I just know the name. I swear Atonement is something I've heard. But that opening is boring as shit. The one I skipped was George Orwell, 1984, so that's kind of a big one. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. That's one of my favorite, actually. Like, that's awesome. I remember uh, when I was a kid, we covered uh, 1984, and just, like, you know, the clock struck. I never heard that. That's one of the ones I do want to check out. Like, yeah. That's, like, an it's older a good book one, yeah. that I want to check out, and I want to check out uh, Fahrenheit... Um, 451? Yeah. I want to uh, get all the number books out of the way. Get them out of the way. Get Which up. that seems very like the Fahrenheit one seems very like nowish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know the, the it's cold in April and the clock striking thirteen gives you a sense of doom. Yeah, because like it's like wait thirteen. Yeah, there is no thirteen. <laughs> if it's striking thirteen, that means we're out of time, right? Yeah, mm. well, we've been out of time. It's whatever's that left. It's like whatever is happened afterwards. Right. This one always creeped me out. I never read this book, but everybody raves about it. It's one of the top ten books of all time, but I just... I have no interest in reading it, honestly. Like, pedophilia just doesn't do it for me, you know? Like, just reading about, like, trying to get in the mind of a pedophile. I don't want to. Number eleven is Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul. Like, that just gives you all you need to know there. Lolita is a term for an underage girl, pretty much. And that's... Yeah, like that's yeah. You're, you're saying that stuff about it. It's just gross, especially the, the the loins. Yeah, that's the first sentence. It's like he's in love and sexually attracted to an underage girl, right there. First sentence. I mean, it lets you know what you're gonna read. Yeah, but boy, is it icky. Ooh. I mean, unless the story ends with that dude getting murdered, you know, like a hard candy kind of situation. It does not. Um, oh, what the fuck is his name? Uh. Not Sohan, Sohan. It's a repeating name, one of them. I forget. I, like I said, I never read it, but... Also, Stan Lee came up with the name. Did he? Well, Stan Lee always does, like, the, um... Oh, no, I guess you said repeating. I was thinking of name beginning with, you know, same letters. Alliteration? Yeah. No, it wasn't alliteration. Yeah, it was, no, it's I... literally... Hold on, let me... What the fuck is... Herman, Herman? I forget it. It was something stupid, but it's gonna bug me not to know it. The name was so dumb, he named, they named him twice? Yeah. Unless I'm thinking of something else. Humbert Humbert. Hmm. Yeah, it's even worse than anything. A guy named Humbert is going to be a molester. I'm sorry. Yeah. If you're born Humbert, you're probably a diddler. <laughs> like, you don't have much options. Now, this one, I have uh, number 12 here. I've actually probably read this opening line 15 fucking times trying to get into this book, and I just <laughs> abandoned every time. James Joyce is not the writer for me. I don't mind verbose writing, but when I don't understand what the fuck's happening, I just can't get into it. Though, if all his writing was like his fart fiction, his, <laughs> his fart letters, I would be so into that. Yeah. Um, anyway, number 12, Ulysses by James Joyce. Stately, plump Buck Mulligan came from the stairhead, bearing a bowl of lather on which a mirror and a razor lay crossed. And I think he was uh, just getting a shave, from what I remember. I, I read like the first few pages a couple times. Ulysses isn't, like, the fucking Voynich manuscript, like, Finnegan's Wake is. It's not this unreadable yeah. fucking nonsense. Like, Ulysses is readable, 
But you have to work at it. And sometimes I don't want to spend three months working on something. <laughs> just to read something. Yeah. I just, oh, man. I mean, maybe I can now because I probably tried. I tried to read this years ago. I would imagine now after reading some like pretty dense literature at this yeah. point, I could probably do I mean, you've made it through. You've read all of H.P. Lovecraft. And, like, granted, it's not as weirdly, he doesn't say things as weirdly as that. Well, the problem with Joyce was he was Irish, and he would not just use Irish slang, but he would make up slang, Uh, and he would use Irish slang combined with real words or combined, like, he'd combine words. He was just fucking like Shakespeare trying to create his own fucking words, and that's where the problem lies. You're just like, what is happening right now? Finnegan's Wake is a much... uh, Better example of just unreadable nonsense to me than Ulysses. Ulysses just seemed kind of boring. Yeah. Um, and you brought up James Joyce. I mean, um, H.P. Lovecraft. Now that I'm reading Moby Dick, like, again, I told you before I read it when I was a kid. But now that I'm rereading it, it is so easy to go through after reading fucking, like, H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft's whole work and stuff like that. And, uh, like, a lot of uh, early Poe works. That stuff is like I forget. You don't realize how dense that is until you go I, into Moby Dick, and you're like, "Oh, this is easily readable." That's like running uphill with like a weight vest on. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I did fucking heavy weight training reading the H.P. Lovecraft. Like, if folks, if you want to really bust your classic literature cherry, and you think classic literature literature is too boring or hard to understand, or you just can't get into it, force yourself to read a whole thing of H.P. Lovecraft, like his whole collection. Once you go into the other stuff, it's easy. Dude. How long have I been working on mine? I can only get, like, I just finished two stories, and I'm like, all right, I'm done for now. <laughs> on to something else. Now I'll do be- you understand why it took me over a year to read the Cthulhu collection? Because the whole Cthulhu mythos, I would have to read maybe two. I, the most I got was, I think, three stories in a row, like the longer stories. And yeah. I was just like, I have to take, like, a half a year off. <laughs> I just cannot get into this. It, it It's not that it's not good or anything. It's just, like, it really melts your mind. He has a very weird... Fr- Whenever I finally get done with that in a year and a half, because we've talked about him before, but we'll have to visit back to him after after I've finished so we can have yeah. like a, a more deeper in-dive about, about his writing. Yeah, because you're, you're going through it now, and it's not just... I'm 16% through the book, sir! <laughs> I only got like 63 hours left! Jesus. <laughs> it's not just the fact that he was verbose... It wasn't just the fact that he loved the goddamn uh, thesaurus. It was that he also was kind of still writing in old-timey English. Yeah. He was in the transition period between, like, Poe English and Hemingway. So, some of it's not hard to read, but a lot of it is, like, just seems really dense. Like, you're just getting pages of one paragraph, it seems like. Yeah, especially, like, on the Kindle. It's like, I swear I swiped three times and I haven't seen an indentation. (laughs) It's bad. All right, where were we? Um, we just did Ulysses. So. Yes. Oh man, this wine's awful. <laughs> Get something else. I can't. I opened it. I can't throw away free wine. So are you didn't drink that whole bottle. Did Did you really have to ask that question? Number Let's th- read the next one. Number thirteen, Orlando by Virginia Woolf. He, for there could be no doubt of his sex, through the fashion of the time, did something to disguise it was in the act of slicing at the head of a moor which swung from the rafters. What do you make of that one? Is a moor getting murdered? Is is he getting guillotined? Is what I'm getting, maybe? That'd be interesting. I guess. That's like a good head lob to, to start things off. I, Judging by his lady clothes, I'm guessing this is a Victorian moor or something who is maybe an aristocrat getting beheaded? That's That's a... Sorry for anyone who's not as stupid as we are. <laughs> that's uh, that's what it seems to me. 14. Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin. Everyone had always said that John would be a preacher when he grew up, just like his father. It had been said so often that John, without ever thinking about it, had come to believe it himself. I mean, I get... See, that's just not my kind of story. You know, that's that gives you the hint that this is going to be like a lot of religious overtones and stuff. Number 15. Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. God damn it. How are you supposed to pronounce that, though? It's Vietnamese, I think. Just N-G. No, it's not Guin. That's uh, N-U-G. That, like, how, yeah, like, how do you say that without sounding like a complete asshole? Ng. Ng. 
I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's Vietnamese. I think that that's from my understanding. But anyway, everything I never told you. Lydia is dead, but they don't know this yet. See, that's a good, yeah, that's, that's simple, good... but it gives you a, a weekend at Bernie's feel. <laughs> but well, I guess not at all. <laughs> I just wanted to, if I, could, I, I don't get the reference weekend at Bernie's enough, so yeah. just, I'll shoehorn it in very haphazardly at times. But you get what I'm saying. That's uh, a good intro to the story because you already know whoever Lydia is, she dead. Yeah. But, somebody's probably not going to be happy about it. But they don't know it yet. Yeah. So do the person who's right, who's saying this to the narrator, did they kill Lydia? Or were they just around when she died and then nobody else knows? Yeah. You're stuck with the information because now you know Lydia's dead and the other people in the story do not. You have information they do not. That gives the reader power. And that's all I, I always find those stories to be... More entertaining. when Because you, you're involved. Yeah. I mean, and like, you know, that's how a lot of, like, you know, the the comics that I we- read, yeah. a lot of it is that you you know things where the characters don't know, and you get to see them fumble or make mistakes and be mm. like, if you just did this, if you did this one thing, it'd be okay. I think we should probably work on that in our writing, because I don't think I ever really do that too much where I'm involving the reader that mm. heavily. And that's a, that's a hard uh, tightrope to walk there. Because you don't want to, like, some mysteries are just bad because the writer just, like, they show way too much. Number 16, The Secret History by Donna Tartt with two T's. I like that. The snow in the mountains was melting and Bunny had been dead for several weeks before we understood the gravity of our situation. So I'm assuming a lady named Bunny has perished. And uh, they don't know how bad it is. That's interesting. Yeah. That's another one to where, like, it just opens up the possibilities. Yeah. For a lot of things to happen. I don't like these ones that are in pictures. They're hard to fucking read. This one is uh, Joshua Cohen's Book of Numbers. If you're reading this on a screen, fuck off. I'll only talk if I'm gripped with both hands. So this gives you the impression that this guy's getting interrogated. Yeah. I like that. Because he ain't talking unless you're really... Or... (laughs) Gripped with two hands. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a noise penises make. I'm sorry. I don't know what that noise was. <laughs> I think you need to go to the doctor, sir. <laughs> I wanted to make a slurping noise, but that wasn't right either. I was trying to think like what the noise is for the up and down yeah. motion on like a wet member. <laughs> is it? <laughs> that sounds more like something you do with your yeah. mouth. Like that's not right, folks. If you know how to make <laughs> a jerking penis noise. Send us audio clips. And, this has uh, to be classy, Caleb. You can send it to uh, Drunk Pen Writing on Twitter. DM us. If, and if you can find Spencer's Twitter, please send it to him first. <laughs> yeah, we were supposed to be classy, but I feel like we ruined that when we went with the Willy wrenching. No. I feel like that set us off on the wrong foot. See, I thought you was going to mention something like during episode two. <laughs> We started the very first episode on a classy note, and we've gone downhill ever since. Number 18, The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Rothfuss. Uh, that's, a, that's a name I've never... That's, that's not a real name, is it? Rothfuss. It, has a, it could be a pen name. Or he's a Rothfuss. It was night again. The Waystone Inn lay in silence, and it was a silence of three parts. Okay. I don't know... See, that one doesn't really hook me. No. Some of these haven't hooked me, by the way, folks. Uh, no. The ones we kind of just skip over, I'm not hooked. Not hooked, I don't think it's good. I don't want to call the writer out, but I don't. I just don't feel it should be on this list. Well, it's also very unfair whatever, like, um, like some of them are literally just a sentence, and then some of them are like two or three sentences. Yeah. So, like, I'm not exactly sure. Somebody either. had a word count. Yeah. They were padding this uh, non-article. Yeah. It is, it's BuzzFeed, so they, they're kind of known for just fucking fluffing it up. 19. Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie. I never read any Salman Rushdie, have you? No. No, why would you even? Because he's, like, famous, right? I mean, yeah, I know that the name sounds familiar, but, like, if you haven't read him, what would make you think that I've read him? You've read stuff I haven't read. Not that kind of stuff. Did, weren't you really into, uh, into Marcel Proust for a while? No. Didn't you read all 17 volumes of uh, Time Lost or whatever it Can't is? Can't say that I have. Like five million words? No. Never, you didn't read that? No. I sworn you read that. No, that wasn't me. What about that time you were on Exodus in Italy? Didn't you go through the whole Dante's Inferno? Nope. That wasn't you? No, it was not me. Hmm. Who was that then? 
I said I was interested in reading that, but then you was like, I think that's mostly poems, and I was like, uh. It's all, yeah, I, I was actually uh, before I started reading Moby Dick, I cracked it open. I was like, I want to read Dante's Inferno because yeah. I always wanted to read this, and I was like, today because it is, it's all, uh, it's like the Iliad and the Odyssey, which I don't mind. I have to be in a specific mindset to read epics yeah. or things that are written like epics because it is like kind of poem verse, and that's. Also, I think I would probably enjoy, now that I got the idea, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read them out loud when I read those because that's how they were written. Well, yeah. not so much written. They were spread through history. At, By like, spoken word. Yeah, like all of Homer's work. You don't even know if Homer was actually real. It was just passed down through people over campfires and shit. So maybe that's how I'll read it. It'll probably be more entertaining, which I would actually think why we don't like poetry as much is because you don't we don't read it out loud and poetry is supposed to be read out loud. I'm, you, sure, I'm sure the missus will enjoy that. Yeah, I don't care if she does because she's not a non-essential. <laughs> she does not matter. As Spencer noticed when he came to the my humble abode, the missus who has been here for weeks now without yeah. a job because she's deemed unessential at her workforce, shut down with the rest of the country. She's not here today. I didn't tell him where she went because it's nobody's business. Mm-hmm. All we know is the essentials are in the house. That's and Nitra, who's very essential. And that's all that matters, really. Yeah. I think she's just cutting her dad's hair or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right, number 20. This this is the... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. The Gunslinger by Stephen King. Now, why is this called The Gunslinger? Where Was the uh, lot the Dark Tower in books here? Like, was it, you know, book one, book two? As yeah, in, yeah. So, like, book one was the, the Gunslinger. gunslinger. Okay. And then there was, like, the John, John of the Three, the Wolves of Calling. So yeah, like, each one has okay. a different title. I just wanted to clear that up for anybody. Yeah, like this is from the, the, the very first book. Yeah. This is uh, what I brought up in the intro. This is one of the most famous ones. And it's so simple, yet it sets the whole mood yeah. for the whole book perfectly. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. That's all you need to know. That sets the whole tone of the book up. You're in a desert, an unnamed man, and an unnamed gunslinger. Yeah. And then after reading that series, that kind of is like the perfect just uh, into the story. Just uh... It's so weird because every writer dreams of writing a sentence like that pure to the story. And it seems so simple, but it's not. No, it's really difficult. That's just one of those things that just, uh, it just, it just happens. See, I think that probably the best way to do that is just, you know, start your story however you need to start it. And then after you finish, you got to go back during the edit process and really like probably delete that whole first paragraph yeah. or whatever and be like, okay, you know what the story is. What is this thing that you can say at the very beginning? That'll really give that yeah. hint or just throw it in that's the thing a lot of writers seem not to do anymore and i mean i've gone no i haven't argued but i've seen arguments online about certain writers who say they don't need to edit their work they edit as they go and then they don't go back i personally think that's horrible advice yeah. i think you should do multiple edits yeah you don't want to overwrite you don't want to rewrite too much but at the same time like a thomas wolf if he just uh stuck to his original plan and he never rewrote any of his stuff you're getting fucking 5,000 page books yeah. that are just too much. Uh, I'm getting off topic, sorry. 21. The Luck of the Bodkins by P.G. Wodehouse. It's another unique name. Road, Roadhouse? Wodehouse. Roadhouse? It's Roadhouse <laughs> for somebody with like a lisp. Wodehouse. It's uh, Elmer Fudd. It's Elmer Fudd and Roadhouse. Wodehouse. Into the face of the young man who sat on the terrace of the Hotel Magnificat. Magnificat. Magnificat? All right, I'm not even going to read this. Because this is a whole paragraph. This isn't a fucking sentence. This is the same problem with that one that I skipped. Why are we having whole paragraphs? This isn't a sentence. But it is one sentence, though. There's only but one. It's, so it's a huge big. sentence. It's a huge sentence, but it's a... I'm sorry. Just because you throw 15 commas in there. <laughs> Into the face of the young man who sat on the terrace of the Hotel Magnificat, at Cannes there had crept a look of furtive shame, the shifty, hand-dog look which announces that an Englishman is about to talk French. See, if I read that, I don't want to read that story. Yeah. Like, I can't even fucking read it out loud. I don't... That's too much. That's... I. Maybe that's fine for the novel, but I feel like that shouldn't be on this list. I just... I don't like it. Don't like it. Never did. Never will. Never going to. 22, 
The Bluest Eye by Tiny... <laughs> Tiny? What is wrong with me? The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Quiet as it's kept, there were no marigolds in the fall of 1941. So 1941s, no marigolds. None. Whatsoever. Zero. We do not have a single marigold. How the what, fuck does he know? It's six o'clock on the dot and he's coming in for dinner. What's a marigold? Marigold, a flower. Oh. You Wait. Know, you don't know your flowers? Yeah, no. I know. When he's probably coming in right at six because he's probably hungry. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. How does he always know, though? Because six o'clock is his feeding time. Well, because he's hungry. Well, why is he hungry just at six? Because that's the time you always feed him. Anyway, we're going on the list. You could, you could pet the doggy. He's actually letting me pet him for once, so I am. Because he wants food. <laughs> Don't worry, he'll get bitey soon. 23. Praise Song for the Widow by Polly Marshall. With the strength born of the decision that had just come to her in the middle of the night, Avery Johnson forced the suitcase shut on the clothes piled inside and slid the lock in place. It's another long one, but that gives me the uh, impression that he's leaving. He's leaving the lady. Or somebody. He's mad. Why is he mad? Is he mad? Might not be mad. Maybe she's kicking him out. Maybe yeah. she's mad. Maybe nobody's mad. Maybe he's going on a fucking road trip. Maybe he's going on a business trip. Maybe he's a traveling salesman trying to sell awful vacuum cleaners. <laughs> you don't know. But it gives you the impression that he's leaving. 24. There you go. Mr. Bradbury. Bradbury. Yeah. Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. It was a pleasure to burn. That sets the book yeah. off because you're burning a book. Yeah. So the whole thing is about burning books, and it was a pleasure to burn. Why was it a pleasure? Read on to find out. Next one. Ooh, you like this. Less Than Zero by Brett Easton Ellis. People are afraid to merge on freeways in Los Angeles. What does that fucking mean? What's that story about? I you're a Brett Ellis fan. Right? No, I've watched the movie, but that's only just because it has a you know young Robert Downey Jr. in it. Is there a lot of merging and non-merging? Uh, is it about traffic? No, it's about like how Robert Downey Jr. is like his character. Like I forget somehow gets hooked on like a lot of drugs and then ends up doing like gay stuff for the drugs <laughs> and like. And about like his, I think then his friends like kind of help him. I can't remember. Again, I just watched. It was after Iron Man, and I was like, I, what's this with Robert Downey Jr.? And I, you know, I went on a little streak after that. Well, this gives me the impression of uh, if it's the same thing, it might not be the yeah. same thing. <laughs> well, this gives me the impression of people in the story being indecisive. Maybe yeah, not like, being able to make decisions. Yeah, that's more of a metaphor on the people that live there, other than like yeah. the actual traffic. 26, one of my favorite novels, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. All this happened, more or less. This just sets it off that the story, it pretty much happened. So, like, that's one of the ones that I've been wanting to check out and you always hear about just because, like, the name. You know, we're talking about, like, the first sentence, you know, the first sentence to pull people in. For a name of a title. Yeah. That's awesome. I let you borrow it. What is it about? Because I would just assume. I thought you read, like, some of it. I let you borrow it, remember? Because Nitro ripped the cover off, the back cover. Maybe I don't know. I I would see my murder. It's about the Dresden bombing in World War One, which Kurt Vonnegut was there for. Yeah, uh, it was like one of the biggest bombings in history in Europe, and uh, they hid out. The, how they survived, the soldiers they hid in Slaughterhouse Number Five. It was okay. a slaughterhouse. Okay. Well, the story is about a guy who's. He gets kidnapped by aliens, and he goes through. Uh, he's in the alien zoo, and he has this. He gets this ability where he can see all of time because that's what these aliens oh. possess. He can see all of time at oh, once. Okay. So he through the story, you're with him in World War One as he's going through these atrocities. You're with him when he's middle aged, talking to like his daughter. You go. He's, you're with him when he's in this zoo and fucking like when he's younger man. He gets you know. Kidnapped by aliens, so he's in the zoo with some lady, and then like, so you see his whole life all played out in once. Okay, it's really fucking cool. It's one of the best novels I ever read, and I let you borrow it, and you started to read it, and then you see, bailed. You see, fucking I bailed. See, I don't even think I even. I don't even think I got to the point to bail bailing. I think I just, just gave didn't it, start. Yeah, it? I just. I think I. You would really like it. It's it really sounds cool. awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm it's really to, I'm really gonna have to. I'm disappointed in you, Spencer. Ah, uh, well, you know, put it up with all the other things you're disappointed in me about. Well, this one you actually did read, so uh, oh yeah, won't be smirching too much. Twenty-seven, Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry oh, Pratchett. Yeah. It was a nice day. 
See, that's not that's the first sentence, but then yeah. it's a whole paragraph. Why are they including this? It says sentence. Opening sentence, people, means the first sentence. Yeah. Not opening paragraph, you fucking mooks. Anyway, I will read it because it's Neil Gaiman. Yeah. He's my boy! <laughs> it was a nice day. All the days had been nice. There had been rather more than seven of them so far, and rain hadn't been invented yet. But clouds massing east of Eden suggested that the first thunderstorm was on its way, and it was going to be a big one. So that's like four sentences. Yeah. Okay, you need to you need to read Good Omens. It's like one of the only like Neil Gaiman things you haven't read, right? I haven't read a lot of Neil Gaiman things. I only read like four or five of his novels. But I mean, like, I don't think like that's most of them, though, isn't it? I've only read American Gods, The Nazi Boys, uh, the Fairy Story, the. Something stars. Stardust. Stardust. That might have been it. It's only three novels. Okay. I know he like, he doesn't have like a huge library. He has that one novel I saw at the store that looked really interesting. I forget the name of it. Something at the end of something or other. But it was like about a lake or a pond at the some mm. somebody's lane. It, it was like one of these magical fucking mm. realism shit. But I I really like Neil Gaiman's yeah. writing because he but, is a good blend of like my love of classic literature, yeah. but a modern writer. Yeah. And then I think we should, I mean, if anybody who follows us on social media probably saw, but since since we just talked about it real quick, props to Neil Gaiman for letting... Um, LeVar Burton. Yeah, read any of his stories. For free. Yeah. Yeah, because while LeVar Burton's in quarantine, he wanted to read books to people, you know, to entertain people who yeah. are bored. And he was having trouble finding, uh, you know, free books, like... Uh, what the public domain books. Yeah. And Neil Gaiman stepped up and said, hey, you can read any of my books... Don't worry about yeah. copyright. Just do it. That was a fucking... That's a classy move. I Well, I guess Stephen King can't do that. Because <laughs> he's reading to kids a yeah. lot. Uh, I guess uh, there's only a few Neil Gaiman books you could probably do that with, too. Yeah. You're not doing that with American Gods. But, I mean, unless he's reading... LeVar Burns reading to a more adult reader. Yeah. Which he probably would be, I would yeah. think. But he tries to keep it family-friendly, which I respect. And then in the same vein, Patrick Stewart is like reading Shakespeare every day, like one thing, like one poem a day or whatever. Dude, I cannot get into Shakespeare. I just, I don't care. I don't think I could get into reading it, but I think I could get into listening to him, him do it. reading it. I listened to a little bit of it. It's just, I, it's like when I listen to classical music. I like classical music, but it's not like, like if I want to go to sleep or something, I'll listen to classical yeah. music. Like, it's not something I'm... I'm Go into. It's not gonna get me in the gym with classical music. Yeah. I ain't oh my god! No, uh, you know Beethoven or anything. You know Mozart getting my juices flowing. Bum 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 bum. I'm just like, mm, no, no. Twenty eight. Dietland by Sarai Walker. It was late in the spring when I noticed that a girl was following me. Nearly the end of May, a month that means perhaps or might be. Hmm. What do you think of that one? Uh, what is that making you think of? Is I'm I'm guessing that it it tells you that because of the month, a lot of options are open to her. Like there's endless possibilities. Maybe I don't. Yeah. Like whatever she's thinking, it's a possibility. Like hey, perhaps I'll masturbate today. Perhaps <laughs> like I don't know. I'm sorry. That's gross. I make everything gross. We're bad guys. Bad people. But we're essential. <laughs> we may be bad, but we're essential. You can be as bad as you want to be when you're essential. If your job is so important that if you stop doing it, the whole country crumbles yeah. beneath your feet, you're like us. Yeah. <laughs> Spencer, do the fade laugh with me. <laughs> you don't really have a lot of distance to fade. No. Sorry. It's easier for me. All right. You're, you're, you'll be all right, dude. You'll be okay if you don't eat right now. You, I, it literally, it's fine if you don't eat immediately. Well, how much time do we have left? Uh, we'll cut this at, uh, how's 35 sound? We're at we're 29. Well, well, you, you just said 45 minutes in the end. Well, we're, but we've we're been 46 doing, minutes, but well, after been... I cut out our, all our offensive stuff. <laughs> uh, 29. The Drew Breaker. The Breaker. Dude, I've been playing these word games on my phone and I have been, like, in my head just mispronouncing simple Everything. words. Like, I'll be sitting there looking at the word none, and I think known. <laughs> I looked at more, and I was like, Murray? Like, <laughs> What's that? I don't know what is happening, but I need to stop playing that game. All right. 
he's really been shoehorning us off of the podcast. Like, you notice that? Yeah. He's like a bullhorn. He's really been like, okay. He's like the fuck. You know what? You know what Nitro is? He's the, the goddamn music at the Grammys yeah, or just, Oscars. Yeah, I just going to say that. Play the song. I'm like, okay, guys, you've been doing this for long enough. Wrap it up. We're getting there. Five more. You got five more in you? You got five more in you? Just take a nap, bro. <laughs> the he's, Drew Breaker. <laughs> he's so mad. Okay. <sighs> the Dew Breaker by Edwidge Danticat. My father is gone. Another fucking paragraph. This one is not a sentence. Oh. My father is gone. I'm slouched in a cast aluminum chair across from two men. One the manager of the hotel we're staying at and the other a policeman. They're both waiting for me to explain what's become of him, my father. You know what? The only thing I'm going to take away from this is, did you know British people pronounce it aluminum? Did you ever hear them pronounce aluminum? I can't even do it. Aluminum? No. Aluminium? I think they pronounce it. Aluminium? Hmm. Something weird. Something bizarre. Number 30, The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexi. That seems like a way too long of a title. We'll do a separate art episode one day about titles. Yeah. I, that, that's a net, like, the, like, opening sentences. Titles are another thing that I yeah. need to work on. Well, think about, like, uh... What was that? Birds of Prey and the Emancipation. The fabulous Emancipation of, of Harley, Harley Quinn. That's too much. Like, no, don't. <laughs> if it can't fit. Here's my personal opinion on uh, novel titles. If it can't fit on a movie marquee, or if you go to Amazon and you look up the name of a book and it can't fit easily within the browser, I feel like it's too long of a name. Well, it needs to be like, or it needs to be on the spine, like. And, and big print like you can't that's be, a good one yeah if it's on the spine it has to be normal print yeah. or big print it can't be like tiny because there's such a long name can you name any you know we're not getting yeah but that's and anyway the absolutely true diary of a part-time indian my brain was drowning in greece that just gives you so many like you can't even that one i kind of almost like yeah um, just but, because it, like there's so much like is it metaphorically speaking? Is like she could be having a shitty job, like a, at a fast food restaurant, that makes it you know place to that like that theme a little bit more. It's interesting. Next up, Helen. How do you saw that name? Helen Oyami. Helen Oyami, Boy Snow Bird. That's a weird name for a title too. Boy Snow Bird. Nobody ever warned me about mirrors. So for many years, I was fond of them and believed them to be trustworthy. That's interesting because that's just all about, you know, your opinion of yourself. Yeah. That, that makes you think that what you saw in the mirror was the either the real you or held some kind of importance over your life. I like that. That, that, that doesn't really give away the story, but it kind of lets you know the mindset yeah. of the narrator. 32. Moby Dick by one Herman Melville. Wasn't this a... Interesting. I'm reading Moby Dick right now because I'm a, an elite, and elites like me and Spencer, we read things like Moby Dick and H.P. Lovecraft and, uh, you know, Shakespeare. <laughs> Shut up, Spencer. This was the uh, catalyst for me coming up with this article because when I was reading Moby Dick, I always remember this first sentence. Everybody yeah. does, even without reading Moby Dick. Besides, uh, this was the, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. This is one of those other ones that's so famous that most people who um, never read the work know... Still know it. Yeah. Now, they actually threw the whole paragraph in here. Again, I don't know why they keep doing that, but the first sentence is, Call me Ishmael. Everybody. Everybody, everybody knows, knows Call that. Me Ishmael. And then it follows, Some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me on shore, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. I guess they just throw that in there because it lets you know how the story's going to go. He's, he decides he's going to become a whaler. But Call Me Ishmael was... It's so perfect. Yeah. Like, I remember in the movie Matilda, she called me Ishmael because everybody can remember that. It's just three words. But, it like, if you can write something that's three words and have a fucking such a cultural impact that it's remembered by everybody, like, that's well, pretty crazy. And just, like, the fact that, like, your story has affected that name... Yeah, you Forever. think of Ishmael, you always think Forever. of Moby Dick. Yeah. Same with, you know, Captain Ahab. 
Yeah. Uh, Cyrus Smith, I think, is another character in the book. I haven't gotten that far yet. 33, The True Story of Hansel and Gretel by Louise Murphy. You've no choice. Look back. Hmm. So you have to look See, back. See, I figured that's one of the ones that could have probably used the paragraph treatment. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I Maybe some of these are just so vague. that See, but again, why are you throwing it in there if it's too vague? I feel like that doesn't really give away anything that's uh, too interesting. Like, that's not hooking me. I mean, I, I guess, it, I mean, you've no choice, look back. It's telling you you can't look, it's the narrator's telling somebody they can't look back, or is it telling the reader, once you start this book, you can't go mm-hmm. back? I mean, I guess it could have a couple ways to go. I mean, the only reason that it would, like, seem interesting because it's like the true story of Hansel and Gretel. So I imagine it's something about, like, eating kids or something. Mm. So, like, but if it was, like, if that was the opening for, like, a different title story yeah. that you did that didn't have any, you know, that kind of context clues to it, you know, I don't know how, how much you'd be, you know. Right. Next up, The Tiger's Wife by Tay Obreth. Obreth. In my earliest memory, my grandfather is bald as a stone and he takes me to see the tigers. Well, I mean, that goes with the yeah. title of the story, so. The, maybe it's a book about nostalgia, I'm not sure. 35, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. You have not read The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. You nope. Goddamn nope. heathen. No, I guess I should now. You should. Since I'm an elite. I should you probably. I should kind of have to. Uh, yeah, it's required, I guess. Kind of, it's not long. It's not that long. A couple hundred pages. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. Whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, he told me, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. Now, while that does give away the story a little bit, um, pretty much just Nick's way of going about things, I guess, you know, he was more of a privileged person. It, uh, that's a whole paragraph. That's not one sentence. If you, if you go with the first sentence, it doesn't make any sense. It just... It, that's that's a bad example. I don't know why I threw this on this list. I'm just going to go through this list and find either really short ones or really famous ones. And that's how we'll end this, okay? 36 is a short one. The Lover by Marguerite Duras. One day I was already old. In the entrance of a public place, a man came up to me. So she was an old lady and a man came up to her. And since she's old, what did he want? It wasn't romance. There's a lot of ways to go with that. Um... Murphy by Samuel Beckett. The sun shone, having no alternative on the nothing new. Jeffrey Ugendi's The Marriage Plot. To start with, look at all the books. Well, that's just, uh, are they in the library, a bookstore? Hard to say. Let's see if there's any. Okay, I will go with this one because I've mentioned it many times. A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. Oh, God, how do you say that word, Spencer? No, 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 no. Incredulity. Incredulity. That's a long... I didn't know that fucking opening was that long. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil, in the superlative degree of comparison only. That, that is a is long... one sentence. That is long. One sentence. That, that gives you what you need to know. I was wrong, folks. I did not... Like I said, I never read that book, but I did not realize. So, like, when you talk about the most famous line of an opening sentence, that is literally just the line you know, not the whole thing. Because yeah. that is... Very long. You should do the... Uh, Hold on, we got The Handmaid's Tale. I was short. just going to say, you should probably do that one without being all popular. The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. We slept in what had once been the gymnasium. And now that one... Doesn't give a lot away. No, it doesn't give a lot away, but from what I've gathered from just seeing like trailers and stuff like that... Well, that it, gives you kind of, if you really think about it, a post-apocalyptic yeah. view, because why are they in a gymnasium yeah. sleeping? Yeah. 
It used to be a gymnasium, now it's their home. Uh, let's see if we got anything. Okay, here's this is another one of my favorites. I really like this. Uh, I mean, I get that this isn't really a book. This was like a short story, but it's one of my all-time favorites. The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. As Gregor Samsa awoke one morning from uneasy dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into an enormous insect. So wait, that, 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 that's that, the first sentence? Yeah, that does, it's, it, oh. it's so great. Like, that hooks you. Because no matter what you think of the writing or the story or anything like that, as soon as you read that, wait, this dude turned into a giant bug while because he slept. I, I, know this, I know the story. We've talked about it many times, but I didn't realize from the opening sentence, like, I figured, like, he started out nope. normal, and then, like, he turned really early, and Well, then... think about this. The way that story is, because it's not really about him being a bug, even though it is. It's about how his family depends yeah. on him and all this shit, and the, the way society views work, and if you don't work, you're useless, and things yeah. like that. Um... You wouldn't probably give too much of a shit about that story unless you open with it. If you're yeah. open, opening yeah. with Gregor Samsa going to work at his boring-ass job or something, you don't care. You open with him being a fucking bug. Yeah. He wakes up trying... And, and it's great. You'll really like this, Spencer, because you deal with the monotony of day-to-day <laughs> life so much. That's what his is. So he wakes up, and he's a fucking bug monster. And you know what he's thinking? I gotta go to work. How am I gonna go through my normal day? That's like what it is. And he's trying to figure out how to navigate life, as, but he's a bug. So he's like, why am I a big bug? What am I supposed to do? How am I gonna go to work? How am I gonna feed my family? He's just thinking, oh, everybody's gonna be mad at me because I'm a bug. He's not thinking like, holy shit, I'm a bug. This is fucking, fucking bizarre. No, he's like, now I'm a bug. Can I go to work? <laughs> He's just trying to like think how he's going to go through his shitty day-to-day. And then because it's fucking Kafka, it goes into his new day-to-day life as a giant bug. So it's still monotonous, boring life, but now he's just a bug. <laughs> and his family hates his guts. It's great. You'd love it. Uh, I'm sure you, on the you read this podcast, you listen to his episode yeah. about the metamorphosis. But it, it is, it's a really good story. Um, if anybody wants, you know... If you want to read something interesting, the Kafka's Metamorphosis is definitely interesting. Um, and that's about it. Yeah, the rest of the ones aren't that good. So, with our last minute, Spencer, do you want to uh, give the readers any um, advice on maybe how to write a powerful person's? What would you say would be good? Because we talked about off air how that's something we want to incorporate better into our work. Yes. Um. I um kind of brought up earlier in the episode of like um because i'm sure that that first that first powerful sentence is probably hard hard to come up with yeah it. you're Especially, saying if you go back and rewrite yeah. it to go incorporate the rest of the story I mean, unless if you have the story so outlined it, or so just like that idea pops in your head and you're like you know this is it mm. Other than that, it's gonna take a lot. You you're just gonna like any other like any other part of writing. You just you're gonna have to put something on the on the paper, and just you're gonna have to you know you're gonna have to shovel through all that shit to find the peanut that is good. Yeah, that that is that sentence. That's how that metaphor works. <laughs> well, I think uh, it's important in the first sentence if you can to hit upon the theme of the whole story. Yeah, that's a lofty goal. That's really hard to do, as we described with Stephen King and uh, some of the other ones. Like, Call Me Ishmael also, that's a different way to go. It's one of the most famous, but if you just go Call Me Ishmael, that doesn't give anything away. No. All you know is the guy's name's Ishmael. Yeah. But that's powerful because that's something you remember. Um, think of one-hit wonder songs. If, if you can have a line, because it doesn't always necessarily have to be an opening sentence that gives away anything of the story. Yeah. It just could be a really powerful line that hooks the reader and is stuck in their head, whether it be a name like Call Me Ishmael or maybe it's something along the lines of, uh, oh, just, uh, um, what is it? Jim Butcher. He had something about burning down a Walmart. Yeah, was his opening yeah. sentence. Like that was one of the most famous. Like he stood next to a burned down Walmart mm. or something like that. You don't know what happened, but you're just like, I need to know what happened. That, That's like, what you want to get yeah, in the reader. Like have it start off with some kind of like murder or like, you know, we talked about like the Quentin Tarantino route. You, you, Give a quick preview of what's the, the ending. Yeah, give the work, ending first, kind work, of. And, you know, and then work your way back there, you know? Yeah, it's hard to go wrong in hooking the reader if you start a sentence uh, or the first paragraph talking about a death of a character, um, 
a marriage, a divorce, like a big event, whatever yeah. big events you might have in your life or something, you know, that in somebody like whatever, just in the human element, big events. If you can start with that big event first. And it doesn't even have to be the end. It could be something like close the middle, to the in yeah. the middle, but like, you know, because I just thought like, you know, I just thought something like uh, uh, Jim woke up to everybody else in the room being dead. Yeah. You know, something like that. Like, okay, how did this happen? What the fuck's going on? Who's, like, who's Jim? Did he do it? Why did somebody, why did he, why is he not dead, you know? Well, think about uh, Sin City. Marv's story in yeah. Sin City, he wakes up. And the lady he's with is dead in his bed, and yeah. he had no idea how it happened because he didn't kill her, but yeah. he's right next door. Somebody came in and killed her. That kind of shit hooks the reader. Yeah. Um, so any form of fiction, like, that really works well. Because uh, I feel like a lot of, like, where, I'll, I'll end the episode on this. Where I feel a lot of indie authors go wrong is they don't hook the reader within the first page. And more specifically, the first paragraph and the first sentence. We've read plenty of stories where... There's not a lot, like, it's too much buildup to yeah. the story. And especially if you're on, like, if you're a Stephen King, you can get away with that because you're well-known enough yeah. that people know Pe- your work. People, but, will, people will give you time. But if you're not well-known, you're just getting your foot in the in the waters of the fiction world, you have to have something that's not just going to hook the reader, but just make them interesting. Yeah. And we were talking about slush piles earlier. You want to get out of a slush pile when you're submitting to magazines. Most magazines, and I know this from our site, how we handle things, if you have a shitload of submissions and only one or two people reading them, I'm sorry to say, sometimes all you can read is the first couple paragraphs, and you have to judge a whole story based on that. Like, what you're really basing is the writing and how interesting the story is based on that first paragraph. So if you have a slow opening and you're submitting to places, it's probably not going to get picked up. Yeah, you, come, can, you can have the coolest concept or story idea, but if you can't get that across soon, people are not going to give you the time of day. Like, look at the Conan stories. The best Conan yeah. stories we read were all from the get-go. Right from Jump Street, they all had something happen. Yeah. They all had an event happen fairly immediately, almost all of them, even if Conan wasn't involved. So if you go into just, like, the, the pulp way of writing... You might think it's hokey. You might think, oh, my art's too grand. I can't just go. You have to do something. Go with what works. Yeah. It worked for hundreds of years. Who are you to... Going into a story super dry is... It's just... It's never going to be the way to go. You're not going to have a lot of success if you do that. So, if you can help it, really try to hook the reader within that first sentence or first paragraph. That's going to help you a lot. And like Spencer said earlier, if you can do that... Um, starting with flash fiction and short stories, that's really the best way to learn how to do it because you don't have a lot of, especially flash fiction, you don't have a lot of room to work with. And if you want to get the reader engaged in a story that's only 500 words, you got to start from the, like, immediately. Yeah, yeah, you you don't have a lot of room to work with. You're not going to be building up to some grand thing. There is no grand thing that could be built up to. You don't have enough words. And even a short story of 10,000 words, you still want to have that hook immediately. So, we hope that you took something away from this. And if it's anything, it's that we're elite now, so you should listen to us. Yes. We're we're, elite. We're, we're, let's maybe not elite. We're essential. Essential. Not quite elite. I, I said that earlier, too. But if the world keeps going the way it is for a couple more months. Yeah. Who's going to be at the top of the mountain? The only guys with jobs. <laughs> yep. When everybody has no job and you have a job. You're suddenly way more important. I was gonna say, too bad there's like no place where you can go to like meet women nowadays. Nowadays anymore, I could be like, hey, you know, I got a job. Got a job. Baby. I have money coming in. Oh, you're so pretty. This is where it is. Here's the lines. Doctor. Yeah. Nurses. Yeah. Us. No, 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 no. Doctors, nurses, ambulance drivers. Yes. Uh, police force, firefighters. Police force, firefighters. Which are all essential anyway. They're yeah. the actual essential. Yeah. <laughs> so number six on the list, though. Us. We, we break the top ten. We are in the top ten. That is important because there's some people who are technically essentials, but if they went out of business, nobody would notice. Yeah. Like uh, guys who are making mining parts right now. I, I've uh, had some experiences with uh, mine part, you know, craft, not even crafting, just moving mining parts. Yeah. But the mines are closed. Are you essential? Yeah. I think your just company just wants you to work, buddy. Yeah. You're like 11 or 12, if anything, on the list. But us, we're a solid six, dude. 
at least. That's that, about that, average for me. Solid six. Feels pretty, <laughs> feels pretty good, don't it? <laughs> you you wrencher of willies. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that was fun. See you later, guys. Bye. And Well, we can't say guys. Shit. People. Fuck. Non-binary folks. Can we come up with a new term? I like using folks, but I feel like that's uh, cultural appropriation of uh, folk rock. Uh, see, again, Rogan... Uh, Rogan just steals it, you know, with the best, with, you know, calling people freaks. It's hard to say. Yeah, I can't steal freaks. You know. we I've, I've been saying this for fucking 100 episodes now. We need to come up with an actual ending phrase. Uh, like, stay classy San Diego, Ron Burgundy. We need <laughs> something. Damn it. If you folks have a, a closing phrase, can you please send it to us? Because we're desperate and we're not that creative when it comes to things that we don't feel like focusing on. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not that creative when it doesn't come to non-necessary uh, things. Non-essential non things. things. Essential.